Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, we've got reviews of one of the newest and biggest shows on TV and a review of the return of one of the biggest shows in TV history. Plus, I'm Jeff Braun. I'll review not one, but two new murder mystery comedy movies, and they're both pretty terrific. Plus, one of my favorite shows recently delivered its long-awaited third season. Was it worth the wait? We'll start with what came out on Disney Plus this week. The latest Star Wars series was released, Andor, starring Diego Luna as Cassian Andor. And before we talk about the show, who is Cassian Andor? In 2016, they released the first of what was meant to be many standalone Star Wars stories movies. This one about the rebel spies who stole the plans for the Death Star, allowing Luke Skywalker and the Rebellion to blow it up at the end of Star Wars A New Hope. So it's a prequel of that film that leads directly into the events of A New Hope, and it is amazing. this moment the force is strong make 10 men feel like a hundred we'll take the next chance and the next you're rebels on you so that movie star wars rogue one is in fact my favorite Star Wars movie. It has very little to do with the Jedi and the Sith. It's darker and grimier. It's a ground-level guerrilla war movie showing the crusty underbelly of the Rebellion, whom we've always seen as these virtuous good guys. Turns out there are far more shades of gray than we realized, and Cassian Andor is right in the middle of that, doing the Rebellion's dirty work. Andor, the series, takes us back to how he joined the fight and to essentially the beginning of the Rebellion against the Empire. To steal from the Empire? To just walk in like you belong? They're so proud of themselves. So fat and satisfied. They can't imagine that someone like me would ever get inside their house. Cassian Ander. The Empire is choking us so slowly. We're starting not to notice. What I'm asking is this. Wouldn't you rather give it all to something real? I need all the heroes I can get. For the greater good. Call it what you will. Let's call it war. Three-episode premiere this week. It was originally supposed to debut August 31st, but the speculation is they moved it so they wouldn't get caught between the dueling premieres of HBO's House of the Dragon and Amazon's The Rings of Power. So, Jeff Braun, what'd you think? Well, first of all, in that clip, he says uh, fat and satisfied like it's a bad thing, whereas for me, it's kind of a life goal, but whatever. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to be satisfied. Um, I loved it. I mean, with the caveats of recency bias, it's brand new. And the fact that we're, you know, just at the beginning of this series, I got to say, this is definitely my favorite Star Wars show so far on Disney+. Plus. Mando's great, and in the end, it may actually top this, but 
I think Andor is definitely better than Obi-Wan was, which I mostly liked, and it's way better than the Book of Boba Fett, which I mostly did not like. I rewatched Rogue One last weekend. It had been a while. I'd forgotten who most of the characters were, and I couldn't really remember anything specific about Cassian Andor other than the fact he looked an awful lot like actor Diego Luna. So that was helpful, not really for the plot, but just for getting back into this world that you were describing there. The time frames of these things also make me have to pause because just to keep it straight, and I got to, you know, sort of orient myself as to where in the overall timeline is taking place. So this is about five years before the very first Star Wars movie, which means it's about five years before Rogue One. So they got some room to play with him uh, until he gets to the events of the Rogue One movie. I was very pleasantly surprised with where it was set, and the answer is not on Tatooine. Exploring new planets should be the fun of Star Wars, and every Disney Plus show so far has spent a lot of time on that same desert planet where we first met Luke Skywalker in 1977. This is different, and even though the Empire is a thing already, it appears it's not the all-encompassing menace that it will be. I think we still have a lot to learn about this part of the galaxy that uh, Andor takes place in, and the evil security force that rules it, because they're uh, prominent in these first three episodes. But again, you know, like the Tatooine thing, it's just kind of nice to not be surrounded by just stormtroopers as the bad guys all the time. And like Road 1, this uh, the series is written by Tony Gilroy. He's an excellent writer. He wrote the Born Identity movies. He wrote and directed uh, Michael Clayton, the George Clooney movie. That's absolutely worth the rewatch if you haven't seen that in a while i'll be doing that soon so gilroy knows what he's doing about behind a typewriter and i think he deserves a lot of the credit for the early success of this series it's no accident they dropped three episodes all at once won't get into spoilers but the three episodes really play like the opening act of a movie the third episode ends with our hero about to you know embark on what i presume will be the adventure that will make up the bulk of the series and while they used you know three episodes to make what would have been the first 30 minutes of a movie it didn't feel stretched too thin like a lot of the marvel shows for example do or uh, netflix shows that we've complained about for years now where it's obvious that they're you know turning uh, something that should be much shorter into a big elongated six episodes of tv or something and padding them out with filler just to take up space the three and or episodes felt like they had stuff that mattered throughout they were entertaining to boot all the way through each episode the comedy's been great and i think we got the first s word in any star wars movie or show yeah i might be wrong but i was surprised when i heard it. you think it's the first one yeah i think it is yeah i saw that pointed out in a couple of videos here like yeah it felt kind of weird hearing that word but it would also feel yeah. weird hearing the guy call them something like a slimo or poodoo so yeah i yeah. sort of like that they just used a regular swear Gilroy's like, ah, the heck with that. Here comes the S-bomb. I'm not going to make up weird words. Like, like I feel like George Lucas spent a lot of his time uh, just like mixing and matching letters to try and come up with crazy words, you know, or whatever. Um, but at any rate, it's a dynamite start to the series. Hopefully they can keep it up. And the music is also phenomenal. They got uh, Nicholas Brittell, who's one of the very best composers out there right now. You may know him from uh, Succession with the memorable theme song, among other things. So uh, this thing's firing on all cylinders to start three episodes down. How, how many is it? I think it's a, tw is it a 12 episode show? Yeah. First season's oh. going to be 12 episodes. Second season, 12 episodes as well. So that's more than the other uh, Star Wars shows at that point, right? Yeah, that's a lot because they, they, yeah. they're always eight episodes. Right. Say, Obi-Wan was six episodes. So right. yeah, kind of like that it's 12. Yeah, me too. So uh, nine more to go and hopefully they're as good as the first three.
Yeah, I loved it. I thought the first 10 minutes felt like a mission statement. It was dark, figuratively and literally, given the the setting. It was mature. It was adult. Like, within three minutes, he's in a brothel. It was violent. It introduces us to the main character and what he's looking for. Shows us that he's a good guy who's capable of doing bad things, of doing what must be done. I thought the show looked gorgeous for the most part, and it's because, I think that it's partly because it's all shot on a practical set as opposed to what they call the volume, which is a wraparound on-set screen that shows the background. Um, so I guess it's the designed to give the actor something more interactive to work with. But, uh, of course, there's still some green screen work in play here and some CGI. But there's actually a lot of practical scenery, practical effects. So I enjoyed that aspect of the production value. It just made the whole thing feel more grounded. And I think that's the whole point because this part of the Star Wars saga is more grounded. There are a couple of shots where I think you could tell they had to cheap out on whether it's a vehicle or some of the the animatronic animals that are on the screen, but whatever. And uh, Luna, Diego Luna, is just excellent in this role. And in fact, all of the actors are terrific so far. It's funny what happens when you get good actors playing good and well-written characters at how quickly you become invested in them. I also liked how for the first three episodes, there's nothing really familiar in play here. Like, we know it's Star Wars, but they don't rely on on us knowing that like we don't see the empire we see the as you mentioned this corporate security force that works for the empire in pockets of the galaxy that the empire just doesn't even have time to bother with and we know that there are familiar characters coming down the road we heard the voice of saw guerrera played by forrest whitaker he was in Rogue One, and that character was first introduced in the Star Wars Clone Wars cartoon that I talked about a few weeks back. Uh, But we don't see any of them here in these three episodes, except for our protagonist, whom we know from Rogue One. And this is a show that trusts itself and trusts you to hopefully appreciate the world they're building here before they expand into more familiar territory. Also, before I forget to mention, once again, they have created another cool droid in uh, and or can't remember his name they just simply called him b i think it's b2 emo or b2 emo i don't know they just called him b he looks kind of like wally from disney but he's got a cool voice and he's old and he's beat up so he's got this data lag and he kind of stutters but um yeah he's got some really dry delivery that adds some some wonderful comedy i think so they just keep coming up with great droids in all of their stories i think the droid in the han solo movie was the best part i can't remember her name it was a penelope she was in that show you like fleabag fever wall uh phoebe Waller-Bridge. phoebe yeah, pardon phoebe. me um yeah so she i think she was the best part of the solo star wars story which i think is where they killed the star wars stories because that didn't do quite as well so they went to plan b which was disney plus and all these tv series we already have a terrific villain the deputy chief inspector for the security force who's a little overzealous in his hunt for justice his name is uh cyril not cyril sneer from the raccoons but cyril karn and 
And I, I, he had way more depth than he deserved. So I like that the actor, Kyle Soler, put that much effort into it. And I guess my one complaint would be that the first three episodes did feel more like a movie, that they just sort of chopped into three random pieces. So I, I felt it was kind of slow in spots. Not that I dislike slow burns, but I just felt like the pace could have been picked up here and there. Uh, but having those first three episodes debut back to back to back was a great decision because, as you pointed out, because it felt like a movie, it left us in a good spot where it feels like the adventure is about to kick off. It shows us what the, uh, the the protagonist is capable of. Had a really great climactic fight scene at the end, like really creative and in, ingenious sort of stuff. So yeah, exciting, great, dark. I loved it. First season, 12 episodes. There will be a second season, also 12 episodes, but the bad news is we likely will not get that until... 2024 so and or wednesdays on disney plus also on wednesdays one of our favorite shows has returned details next on the couch potatoes welcome back to the couch potatoes i'm jeff he's brett and survivor is back with its 43rd installment survivor is an adventure i'm buckled up ready for a ride it's a game slow fast safe dangerous shall we get into it let's do this I want to show people that you can go from sitting in a juvenile hall to sitting out here in Fiji with a PhD. I'm tired of being a starving artist. Who can I become? I really need a million bucks. I'll be honest with you, I've already spent part of it. <laughs> Survivor, new season Wednesday on CBS. And on Global, they're back in Fiji again for Survivor 43, and the season will be 26 days long for the contestants. Usually it's 39, but because of COVID, the last few seasons have all been shortened. The season premiere, however, was not shortened. We got a two-hour episode to kick things off, which they often do, and it was pretty great. We always, you know, kind of groan when we see it's going to be a double episode, but I was sucked in quickly, and it was a joy to watch, mostly Of course, it's because of the cast, and a two-hour premiere is a good idea in that regard. Just from a numbers perspective, there are 18 players, and when it starts, we know precisely none of them, so taking two hours to introduce them and some of their dynamics with each other is a good plan. The good news is I didn't actively dislike any of the players. There are some that I like more than others, but no one made me think, oh, no, they need to get booted as early as possible, and it's rare that that doesn't happen, and who knows, maybe by next week someone will reveal themselves to be incredibly annoying. Uh, I I do think, though, that the producers aren't really looking to cast villains anymore uh, like they used to, and that's fine. I mean, the very nature of the game provides more than enough conflict without adding someone who's purposely uh, spoiling for a fight every minute of every day. There's no real gimmick this season, which is also fine. The gimmicks rarely pan out. They are keeping and refining some of the twists and things from the last couple of seasons, like uh, in this first episode, you know, the thing where one player from each tribe gets together and they have to decide whether or not They'll risk their vote for an advantage. They tweaked it a little bit, but it's still there. And they're good at stuff like that. The show knows what they're doing. If a a new twist is garbage, it usually only sticks around the one season. And even if it's something good, they'll keep tweaking it either to improve it or to keep the contestants from sort of guessing ahead of time, getting ahead of the game, or just to keep it interesting for us, the viewers, I suppose. But the premiere was pretty straightforward. The three teams land on the beach. They're welcomed by Jeff Probst. They're immediately uh, into a reward challenge playing for flint and a machete and a pot and then were sent to their camps to fend for themselves later on there was a massive immunity challenge with several different parts and then the requisite scheming from the tribe headed to tribal council and then of course that first tribal council itself where the first person is booted from the game of course the most important thing was that we got two hours to get to know the contestants and like i said they're a mostly pleasant bunch i i 
Can't remember any of their names yet, but that'll come. And now there's only 17 to remember instead of 18. Uh, a couple of the young fellows appear to be challenge beasts, both physically and in the puzzle-solving department. And then the young lady with the prosthetic leg could be a challenge beast, too, because she mentioned that she holds the U.S. record for the 100-meter dash for Paralympians. So that was pretty impressive. But overall, all three teams were in it until the end of these challenges. Doesn't look like there'll be a, an obvious blowout every week with one team dominating or one team chronically losing. A solid setup for season for the season, and I'm just uh, glad to have Survivor back, Brett. Yeah, it was fun. I, I really enjoyed it. And one of the things that I really liked was they, they, they had some really fancy drone camera work. Like, was that new? Mm. It felt new. That was new. I thought of that, too, because I was like, whoa, haven't seen that before. And then I thought... Oh, yeah, it's got to be the drones, so why not? Yeah, it was dizzying at times, and I loved it. So good for them for for dropping those in, for sprinkling those in. And the uh, you know, first Im immunity challenge was amazing. Like, after 43 seasons, I don't know where they keep coming up with this stuff. And so, yeah, it was just a good start. Two-hour premiere. I didn't think I'd stay up to watch the whole thing, but I did because I just couldn't stop um and there were some fun little details they've done they've never done before like when they there was a guy sam who described himself as a student slash pet create cremator slash uh business operator and they 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 were dropping those descriptors in as he was speaking with little sound effects and never seen that before in survivor they, they've lightened up just a little bit so i thought that was a good touch uh i mean the show's got to continue to evolve right so survivor wednesdays on global looks like it's going to be a good Good one. Up next, we are going to tell you about some of the mysteries Jeff has been unraveling this week. Details in a moment. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And I saw two movies this week that just coincidentally happened to be quite similar. We're going to start with a really fun murder mystery comedy that's in theaters right now called See How They Run. There's been a murder. Seems he was killed in the costume store initially and then he was deposited here, staged, so to speak. Is that the idea? Gather all the suspects under one roof until the mystery's solved? That was not me. I had no part in it. He's killed him to hush up the affair. Case closed. They both had a motive. Betrayal. Greed. Murder. Perhaps they were all in on it together. The ski did that and it was downhill from there. See how they run. Rated PG-13. See how they run stars Sam Rockwell, Saoirse Ronan, Adrian Brody, David Oyelowo, and a lot of less famous British actors. It's set in London in 1953 in that city's West End, where the cast and crew of a play called Mousetrap, based on a story by Agatha Christie, are celebrating their 100th performance. As it happens, the producer, director, and screenwriter for the film adaptation of Mousetrap are in attendance, and at the after-party backstage, there is a murder. Enter Inspector Sam Rockwell and his apprentice Constable Saoirse Ronan, and we're on our way. I love murder mysteries like this, and we're sort of in this new era of them. In the last couple of years, we've had a decent Adam Sandler movie on Netflix called Murder Mystery. We've had two Agatha Christie adaptations from Kenneth Branagh with Murder on the Orient Express and Death on the Nile. We've had a minor masterpiece from Ryan Johnson with Knives Out and a sequel to that on the way in a couple of months. And even this past weekend, uh, when while See How They Run hit theaters, we had this new Fletch movie starring John Hamm, which came out. More on that in just a bit. So it's been high times for these whodunit movies, and I've enjoyed each and every one. And See How They Run is no exception. The murder mystery plot itself is strong. No complaints there. As far as these things go, you know, it does what it needs to do. They're not reinventing the wheel. 
They're also not slacking off. It's clear some thought went into it, and it plays fair. It's not something where at the end of the movie you feel like they they tricked you or something like that to make you feel stupid. The plot has to be strong, of course, because so much rides on it in these movies. And where this and Knives Out kind of get bonus points is the style and humor that they bring to the proceedings without sacrificing any of the plot. See how they run is very stylish. Like I said, it's set in 1953. The costumes and set design are all very detailed and specific, and they've just got a a bright, uh, poppy look to them, sort of like a Wes Anderson movie. And the movie just cooks. It chugs along with purpose. Each scene matters. They get to the point quickly, and it moves fast. It might even take a couple of viewings to fully appreciate every little detail and to catch all of the jokes. See how they run is uh, it's more explicitly comic than Knives Out, although that movie had a lot of laugh out loud moments itself. This has many, and a lot of them are courtesy of Saoirse Ronan, who's proving yet again that she may very well be the best actor of her generation. She's been funny in movies before, like in Lady Bird, for example, but that's ultimately more of a drama. And I don't think she's ever done a purely comic role like this one, at least not where it's sort of the co-lead of the movie. She's a detective's apprentice. She's a young and hungry law enforcement officer with a tendency to jump to conclusions. Sam Rockwell's a great actor. He's very good in this as well, but Saoirse Ronan eclipses him and frankly, whoever else is on screen with her throughout. And in some movies, having one actor clearly outshining everyone else would be a problem. But this movie actually I found moves along so fast that they can get away with it. It doesn't really bother you at all. Uh, it, it seems weird to keep saying it at this point, but I'm just continually astounded by how good Saoirse Rona is every single time I see her in a movie. Uh, and while she's clearly the best in this, everyone's good, like I said. Mostly they're all there, you know, in service of the story, which is good. There's a satisfying ending. There's an opportunity for sequels, which I would not complain about. If, you know, everything has to be a franchise these days, why not something like this as well? So I'll give See How They Run four couch cushions out of five. And the other movie I watched this week, I mentioned it just a moment ago, it's this new Fletch movie. It's called Confess Fletch, and it stars John Hamm. Fletch, I need you for a story. I think I have some ideas. We are not working on this case together. Those are reproductions. That's how we introduce my children. I don't know who people hate more, cops or reporters. It's cops. Confess Fletch, certified fresh. Watch it today. Rated R. It got a limited theatrical release, and it didn't play in any of our theaters, Brett, but it's also on VOD, which means you do have to pay to rent it. So I spent $6 to watch Confess Fletch, which also stars Marcia Gay Harden, Lorenzo Izzo, Lucy Punch, Kyle McLaughlin, John Slattery, and Roy Wood Jr., among many others. Now, you probably remember the Fletch movies from the 80s, starring Chevy Chase. This movie is quite a bit different. Apparently, there is a Fletch book series and this new movie is a reboot based on the books it's not any sort of a continuation of the Chevy Chase movies those movies in the 80s had a lot of Chevy Chase in their design with the crazy costumes and silliness and his little characters they likes to do whereas this new movie tries to be a little more grounded in reality the new Fletch still likes to crack wise and carries himself with a very lighthearted breeziness but there's also something a little more serious about him and in the movie in general John Hamm plays it very well he's incredibly well suited for the role uh, he's a movie star hands him, of course, but he's also very able to play comedy. We've seen him do it many times in 30 Rock, Bridesmaids, Tag, lots of shows and movies over the years. Uh, it must be said, though, the movie simply is not as funny as original Fletch, although original Fletch is also not as funny as it used to be, not because of any sort of problematic jokes, but just more the fact that it's been 
40 years and comedy changes over time. Some movies stand the test of time. Some don't. I don't think Fletch is, you know, going to make kids laugh in 2022. But while Confess Fletch is not a laugh riot from wire to wire, it does have enough laughs. And I also thought the mystery plot and investigation of it was pretty good. There are actually a couple of mysteries at play. At first, there's a kidnapping and an art theft. And that has Fletch traveling from Italy, where he's sort of been living, to Boston. And then once he's in Boston, there's a murder that he becomes the prime suspect for. So he's trying to solve everything, and maybe it's all connected, and maybe it isn't. There are a lot of balls in the air. It could be a little challenging at times to sort of keep on top of it. But even if you do get thrown by a plot line here or there, uh, they they tend to sort of come back to them nicely and get you back in the loop. And then it wraps up uh, pretty well before the movie ends. So you don't need to stress about uh, if you you find yourself in a moment not exactly sure what's happening. And it comes in at a tight 90-some minutes. There isn't really any wasted time here. The movie just, you know, powers right through. Honestly, it's been one of the, it was one of the most pleasant uh, home movie experiences I've had in a long time. There are 11 books, I think. And if uh, John Hamm and company want to tear through a bunch of them in the next few years, I definitely wouldn't complain about that. It's the kind of movie where you you want to see sequels and the continuing adventures of the characters. So... Nothing happens in the movie that would prevent that, I don't think. The supporting cast, all great. I really like uh, Roy Wood Jr. when I see him. He's on The Daily Show. At least he was. I'm not sure if he still is. And he's just hilarious whenever I see him in anything. He plays the exasperated detective that is not impressed with Fletch's parallel investigation into the Boston murder. Overall, Fletch, uh, Confess Fletch, a very pleasant surprise. The shameless remaking of just about everything these days usually turns out pretty bad. So when I heard that they were doing this, I didn't really have much hope for anything worthwhile. And uh, much to my pleasant surprise, it turned out quite a bit better than we could have hoped for. So three and a half couch cushions out of five for Confess Fletch. And why don't we tell you what's new at the movies this weekend? And I guess what's old is new. Ladies and gentlemen. You're on Pandora. Out there beyond that fence, every living thing wants to kill you. Everyone on this base, every one of you, is fighting for survival. You are on Pandora. That's right, the James Cameron 2009 mega-hit Avatar is getting a limited-time re-release in 4K ahead of the December release of the first of many sequels, Avatar The Way of the Water. So I'm curious to know how this is going to do in re-release. It currently sits in fourth place on the domestic box office list with 760 million. Star Wars The Force Awakens remains the champ with 936 million, but Avatar is still the worldwide box office champ with 2.84 million dollars just ahead of Avengers Endgame and yeah I'm curious because when Avatar came out it was such a big hit because the movie theaters had just started dabbling in 3D again but James Cameron said well if we're going to do 3D we're going all in and he created his own technology and it was amazing and uh, I remember critics saying this movie is like being inside a dream because it was so colorful and vibrant and the 3D was actually good because it was shot in 3D it wasn't converted to 3D so it was uh, I thought truly a magnificent cinematic experience, but the story was predictable and basically a rehash of all kinds of things we've seen before. So now here we are 13 years later. I haven't gone back to rewatch Avatar since it was in theaters, and I don't know that 
the this will do well and the sequels boy oh boy he's putting his whole he's putting everything into this avatar franchise jeff what you got any thoughts on avatar oh I've got a lot of thoughts on it. First of all, while this is coming into theaters this weekend, it has been stripped off of Disney Plus because Disney needs to make the monies and there's no way they're going to let you watch it at home for free while it's in the movie theater. So that's out. I I feel like an idiot. I should have rewatched it quickly on Disney Plus. It wouldn't have to go to the movie theaters. And uh, if it's, if it's, if they start, when movies come back into a theater years and years later, that money should not count on their uh, box office. (laughs) all timeless. I hate that they do that because, you know, Star Wars was number one and then E.T. beat it and then Jurassic Park beat E.T. and probably something else in between and then Titanic beat it. But then they re-released Star Wars again with uh, in 97 or whenever it was and it was back on top again. It's like, you can't do that 20 years later. So I I got a real problem with uh, if we're counting the dollars for this thing. But all those things about James Cameron, like you said, lots of people haven't seen this since the theater. The Avatar movie has almost zero cultural cachet at this point. It is not remembered like other big movies, especially like movies that were all-time champs were, like Titanic. People still watch that more often than they watch Avatar. I'd swear by it. So it is it is a risky move, but again, it's James Cameron, and counting out James Cameron is a is a loser's game because he never loses. He always wins. So uh, I'd be, I'll, I'll be more shocked if this thing bombs more than it wins uh, when it comes out the sequel. I mean, in December. All right. Well, we'll check back on that next week. Also new this week, a movie called don't worry, darling. Bye-bye. Make us proud. What do you think they're really doing out there? What do you mean? They don't want us out there. Hello. I went out there. I saw something. You went out where? Everyone is acting like I'm crazy. Why should anyone believe you? We need to go. I'm sorry. No! I gave that to you! Stop it! Whose world is this? Don't worry, darling. Rated R. Friday. Directed by Olivia Wilde, this stars Florence Pugh, Harry Styles, Chris Pine, and Olivia Wilde. Pugh and Styles play Alice and Jack, who live in a nice community called Victory, which is an experimental company town housing the men who work for the top secret Victory Project and their families. It's supposed to be a desert utopia, but not all is as it seems. It's set in the 50s, everyone's needs are met by the company, and in return, everyone is to provide discretion and unwavering wavering loyalty and commitment but weird things start to happen to alice and she senses there's something sinister at play looks interesting but it's not getting great reviews and finally there's a documentary out this weekend about david bowie called moon age daydream it's getting terrific reviews and hey documentary about david bowie one of the most incredible and enigmatic musicians of the last century need i say more In a moment, we're going to tell you what's new on TV, new and returning on your television. That's next on The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. In a moment, I'm going to tell you about season three of one of my favorite shows that recently landed on Netflix. But we got to tell you very quickly here, the new and returning television shows this week. Of course, check your local listings or various streaming platforms or try the app Just Watch. But here we go. Friday, September 23rd, Shark Tank, season 23, 2020, season 45, Transplant, season three. That's a Canadian show on CTV. On Sunday, September 25th, the Big Brother finale. That's on Global. Celebrity Jeopardy. That's a new series. We've also got Celebrity Wheel of Fortune, season three. The Circus, season seven. That's an American political documentary series 
series on Crave, season 34 of The Simpsons, and season 33 of Bob's Burgers, The Rookie, season 5, City on a Hill, season 3 finale. That's a Kevin Bacon crime drama on Crave. On Tuesday, September 27th, Reasonable Doubt. That's a new lawyer show on Disney+. Plus. Bachelor in Paradise is back. La Brea is back. The Rookie Feds. That's a new series in the Rookie Universe. Yes, they're calling it that. Wednesday, September 28th, Blonde. That's that Netflix movie about Marilyn Monroe. That's NC-17. The Mighty Ducks Game Changers Season 2. Reservation Dogs finale and Resident Alien finale and then Thursday, September 29th Ghost Season 2, that's on Global so is So Help Me Todd, that's a new comedy, CSI Vegas Season 2 on Global, we've also got Hell's Kitchen Season 21, Young Sheldon Season 6, Welcome to Flatch Season 2 and Call Me Cat Season 3 and then looking ahead to next Friday September 30th, Hocus Pocus 2 lands on Disney Plus, just want to quickly mention, speaking of TV, The Amazing Race Canada wrapped up this week with one of the closest finales ever Four teams made the finale this time, not three. And it was an intense back and forth, all episode long, evenly matched foursome. And all four of them were stuck on the same clue in the final challenge. It was so tense. And uh, each team in the finale had won more than one leg of the race. So it was a really evenly matched race all the way through. Super fun. And season four of The Amazing Race, The American Show, debuted on Wednesday. So I'm looking forward to watching that. But I just want to quickly tell you about this. Season 3 of the Icelandic show Trapped finally debuted on Netflix, although this one is called Entrapped, and it is a six-episode series. The first season came out uh, back in like 2017, and it's one of the best that first season is one of the best crime dramas I have ever watched. I've told you about it before, but if you've never heard of it, you should watch it on Netflix. It's beautiful. I recommend watching it in the original language. They, there are some moments where they actually speak English, but listening to it in Icelandic, I think, is far more pleasant than listening to some crappy dub of it. And uh, yeah, it's got beautiful scenery, terrific mystery. Season two was also great. Season three, I would say good, not not great. A lot of the reviews were really unfavorable. It's about uh, there's a murder in this sort of hippy dippy cult, and they're trying to figure out who done it. And it's linked to a previous case that still haunts the main police officer and another police officer. A case that they botched several years earlier. Uh, the thing that really irks me about this, though, after I finished it, I found out that they edited it because it aired in Iceland last year. But they cut this down from eight episodes to six, and I don't know why. And I, I sort of felt like this was lacking something, that it felt a little empty, and I think that's probably what it was. When you remove two entire episodes or episodes worth of material, that kind of sucks. But I thought it was still okay, and I was happy to go back to that world. That's on Netflix. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. Don't bother.